So we've <coughs> just been in a series where we've been exploring the prophet Habakkuk and his adventures, trying to sort out why bad things happen and why bad things happen in the midst of a people who are unjust but are going to face bad things from a people that are even more unjust. And we're going to take a slight change of pace here in our new series, but one that actually links together because we're picking up in Philippians 3. Over the, the spring, we were going through Philippians 1 and 2 in series on Monday night, and we're going to come here now to Philippians 3. And as we think about Philippians 3, we need to keep in mind that Paul's been describing a lot of not very good things that he faces. He's imprisoned. He might die. There are enemies who, who want to take advantage of the fact that he's imprisoned. There's all this stuff going on. And, and in the midst of that, we pick up in Philippians 3. And when we do, he's going to talk about rejoicing. In fact, if we look at the, the book of Philippians, there's a lot of rejoicing going on in it. Yeah, oftentimes we don't really feel like a people that want to rejoice. Now, as we are opening up in our, our opening video, we saw pictures of different passports. And if you, if you think about passport, what does a passport do? Passport tells you where you belong, right? You have your country of origin on it. So you're traveling around the world, you have your passport my passport's expired, but if, if you have your passport, you, you can show it and it shows I'm a citizen, I belong someplace. We have lots of things like that that we, we keep around that tell us where we belong and what we can do, right? So for example, here, I was going through my drawer. <clears throat> Here's my driver's permit uh, from years ago. If you see me on the streets, I do have a driver's license, but <coughs> here's my permit, which said, <laughs> I am now entitled to operate a vehicle with someone else around, but I'm, a, I'm entitled to operate the vehicle. So we have, we have permits, and then you get a driver's license, and it gives you more freedom to, to drive, but it says that you belong in the car, right? In the driver's seat of the car. Maybe you have a, a, a health insurance card, and that says you belong getting the treatment that you go into the doctor or the hospital or the pharmacy for, right? You might have a, a credit card. What does that do? I know you can't zoom in. This is an expired one. It's not going to do you any good. Um, <laughs> but uh, it says what? It says uh, you belong using the funds in this account, right? Maybe you get a student ID. Here is my first student ID when I went to Lindenwood. And you get that, and it says I belong in the cafeteria. I belong in the dorm. I belong in places around campus. Maybe you get a job and you get a business card. You hand it to people. Here is my first business card as a pastor. And you take that and you can hand it to people. Here, I belong. I, I, I'm part of this organization. Break down. You, you pull out your AAA card. Also expired. Uh, you pull out your AAA card. I belong getting roadside assistance, right? I belong getting, going to the hotel and getting into my, my room. I belong getting rewards at Ikea. There, there, you can have all these different things, right? You have these different cards and they say, I belong someplace. Paul says in chapter 3, and we'll get to the actual verse that says this in a few weeks, but Paul says we belong someplace else. We belong in the kingdom of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. And when we think about that, when we think about this letter and the joy that he's already referred to and the joy that he's going to refer to, that's essential to it. Because if you go to the store and, you, and you're trying to make a purchase and, and you pull out and you, and you say, okay, I... I, I I have my cart full here. Um, here's my student ID. What are they going to do? 
They're going to say, well, that, that, that's very nice. Um, thanks for showing me, but how about credit card? But you, you hand that credit card over and say, okay, yeah, we'll check you out now. And, and you think about it. In life, we, we act like we only have the wrong kind of card. And we go about life handing out our, our expired driver's permit when what we need is a driver's license. We hand out an expired medical card when what we really need is our, our, our employee ID to get into the building. We hand out the wrong cards, and, and, and that happens, and so then we don't really have joy because we're, we're focused on, the, on handing out the wrong card. But Paul here is going to center us on what really matters and say what really matters is that we understand whose we are and where we belong. And when we hold on to that, then it doesn't matter what life throws at us because life, thro- life gets in the way of our joy, right? You think about, well, we want to have joy in life, but, but life gets in the way of our joy and bad things happen. We talked about that in the last series. We're going to come at it again. And, and I think it's timely that we come at it again because I talked to pretty much everyone and it seems like everyone is worn down. Everyone's tired. And, and we think, well, it'd be nice if I could get to the part of life where there's joy. Life's messing it up. But here it is that Paul is writing, and, and up to chapter 3 here, where we're going to start today, in the first two chapters of Philippians, Paul has already said something about either having joy or an instruction to rejoice seven times in the book already. He's talking about being imprisoned, and he's having joy. He's talking about people taking advantage of him. He's having joy. He's talking about maybe being martyred. He's, he's talking about having joy. What a joy that is. How in the world, Paul? Don't you realize life's getting in the way of your joy here? It's not, going, it's not working out. You're not living your best life. With, you know, people talk about that. It, not sure how they ever conclude that's what the Bible is saying, at least in the secular sense of best life, because Paul is not living his best life by any American terms. Unless you like the idea of being imprisoned. Become a Christian, be imprisoned. That's, what, that's where Paul is, and in that, Paul is going to encourage us to joy. So let's come before our God, the one who's the true source of joy, and then see more about what this joy is that Paul's talking about. Let's pray. Father, it, it's hard sometimes to hear these instructions to joy, because, Lord, we, we don't always feel particularly joyous when we read those instructions, we, we think about Paul's circumstances, they don't sound joyful, and we think about our own and we get absorbed into them and we feel like we're handing the wrong card at the store. What does it look like to be a people of joy in the life that we actually experience? Lord, as we, we wrestle with that tonight, would you help us to, to have your true joy to experience it? And to turn to it over and over again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible or if you want to look on screen, we're going to turn to, to Philippians chapter 3 tonight. And we're going to look at verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Well, you, you can't get much more direct than that, can you? Rejoice in the Lord. Now, it, Let's just start off here with this word, finally. There's a couple of of questions that come up on this because it's right in the middle of the book. Now, you might be saying, well, I've heard lots of sermons. I know pastors do that all the time, 
right? They say finally, and you say, okay, well, I guess we have another half hour to go, so, yeah. Uh, so it could be that, but what it actually seems like, th- this word here that's translated finally could really mean something more like, now having said all this, let's conclude, let's go to this. This is what you need to do. This, so given all that, this. So given all that I've just said about persecution, given all I've said about what my associates have gone through, given all that I've said about imprisonment, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Feel satisfied? No, right? No. Come on, Paul. How can you rejoice in this? Because we want our circumstances to be good. We will rejoice when the circumstances are good so we have a reason to rejoice. But think about where we were last week. If, if you remember last week, we were at the end of Habakkuk. The, the people of Israel are, are already wiped out, the northern kingdom. The, the southern kingdom is on the brink. The Babylonian army is going to come in and exile the people. And what, how, does, how does that book end? In the midst of all that prophecy of judgment, how does it end? Habakkuk rejoices in God. Our circumstances don't determine whether there should be joy or not. That's, that's what the trap we fall into, the trap that Satan loves to put us into. God, why don't you evaluate your circumstances a bit and see if you should be happy today? Why don't you, you see if, if you've hit enough of the success meter to have joy today? And you know the funny thing when we start doing that is we never have enough to actually reach joy. Or we have it, and it's very fleeting. It just goes whizzing by. But here, when Paul is talking about this, I mean, Paul knows better than the people he's writing to what it's like to have circumstances that are subpar. If you read the book of Acts, if you think about the history of Paul and what he goes through throughout his ministry, the worst ministries that we hear about today, as far as suffering, generally don't experience what Paul did. How many times was he beaten? How many times was he arrested? How many times was he falsely accused? All these things happened to him. And here it is, Paul, towards the end of his ministry, is reflecting and he's going through this. He's not a naive new convert who says, well, okay, I'm I'm arrested right now. But then God's going to, God has a, a plan of worldly success for me. Yes, I know. As soon as I got out of prison, God's going to build the first megachurch. They don't even know what the word megachurch is yet in, in, in first century R- Roman Empire, but, but they're going to know because God's going to build one for me. It's going to be great. I'm going to have a giant house, kind of that nifty indoor plumbing that the Romans have in their, in their best places. I'm going to have all that stuff. No, that's not what Paul's thinking. Paul knows that he's coming to the end of his life. He's already wrestled at the beginning of this letter with the idea that he may not get out of prison alive. We know from, from the rest of Paul's writing and from Acts that Paul, Paul's story isn't over quite yet. But Paul doesn't know. Paul just knows this. He's going to rejoice. Circumstances do not determine our rejoicing. God doesn't say rejoice when things go well. God says rejoice in me. And and so it is. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Not in the Lord's blessings. 
Not, not in the things that God is even doing in the ministry, even though Paul can list those off. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Him. And it's interesting here how Paul lays out this letter, and he, and he uses this phrase, rejoicing. He's going to refer to joy and rejoicing 11 different times in this, this relatively short letter. It's not even one of his, it's a middle-of-the-road letter, letter in terms of length, and, and he's going to talk about rejoicing 11 times. But here's the remarkable thing. Every time he brings up rejoicing, he's been talking about something difficult. It's not like he's been talking about something difficult and then he thinks about something that's going pretty well and says, okay, let's rejoice a little, we'll balance it out. No, he talks about persecution and rejoicing. People fighting in the church and rejoicing. Illness and rejoicing. He, he, he doesn't see the two as contradictory to each other. On the contrary, he sees God working in the midst of these circumstances and says, I'm going to rejoice. It's not how I think. I was up here on Friday, and I had a really pretty good day. It was a really nice day, and, and everything had been going really well until I happened to realize I, I'm jostling through my pocket. Here, uh, here's the keys for the for the church building. Um, missing another key, though. I don't have my car key. I had my, my van, my, my grandpa's old van that I'll, I'll drive around and bring up things for the ministry up here and so on. I, I love that old van. It, it just reminds me of him. And it's sitting out there just staring in the window there, just waiting for me to take it home. Uh, Where's that key? And I start looking around on the floor. I, I, I look out on the parking lot. The, the one door on that van doesn't always lock, so I, I check the door to, make, to see if maybe it didn't lock and, and know I'd remember to make sure it locked. And then I have this awful, awful, awful feeling, and I peer through the windshield, and right in the ignition is the key sitting there. I, I didn't feel very much joy at that moment, seeing that key just... It was taunting me through the windshield, and, and it was an otherwise good day, but I'm just thinking, I, you know, I'm not thinking about the otherwise good day at this point. I'm thinking, uh, that key is in that car. Now I need to, I need to get locksmith. I, I have a spare key, but I'm not quite sure where it is. Thankfully, Melanie was up here. She, she took me home. I, I go and look for the key. I can't find the key. I'm really not feeling like rejoicing at this point. You ever had that? I mean, the backup plans aren't working. So finally, I, I, I think now what am I going to do? I guess I'm going to have to call it a locksmith. I, I find the old key fob, and I'm not feeling like rejoicing on that because it's been sitting in a box for years because it doesn't work. No key, though. Just a broken key fob, a key locked in the car in, at the building. I didn't feel like rejoicing. And, that, and that's nothing like what, what Paul is going through in, in this situation. I mean, you almost, you kind of want to put that, you know, on social media, the hashtag first world problems. Oh, I can't get in my car right now. Oh, isn't that horrible? I mean, it is, it's, an, it's really annoying. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. And yet, I, if you said, well, Tim, you're preaching on joy this Sunday. Do you want to talk about the joy you're experiencing in this moment? No, I... I I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm 
I'm cranky right now. My car has its key in there. Someone's going to break the window and steal the car. I'm not feeling joy. I'm going to call a locksmith. They're going to break something on the lock. It's just it's going to be bad. Everything's going to be bad. This is just bad. How can we rejoice in the bad stuff? How, how do we do that? How, how does Paul, taking the situation where so much is going wrong and talking about rejoicing? Well, something that the apostles learned. And they talk about time and again. We see it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James, he's picking up the same theme. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What did Peter and James both say? And I could give you a bunch of passages. Paul says the same thing. You're going through trials. You think that everything kind of stinks at the moment in life? You can think of a thousand ways your life could get better. I say two things. Well, first, God's going to use that to, to strengthen you, to strengthen your faith. And we say, Okay, I've heard that before. And I don't even need the church for that. I can just go read Nietzsche. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Why do I need the Bible if that's the answer? Second part. Because Jesus is going to return. And he's going to be victorious. And that's the crucial part because I don't know about you, but when I read what Nietzsche says, when I read what other non-believing folks say and they reflect and say, well, at least the trials are making you stronger. Maybe it's evolving the humanity and it's going to be better. I, I don't think, oh, good, now I'm going to be stronger. I don't think, oh, good, maybe some generation years from now will be stronger. I think, but what about now? What about this situation? This is what I'm experiencing. God says, remember what card you hold, what passport you have. We hold on to, if you've been traveling, if you have an American passport, I think everyone here tonight is an American citizen, so you'd have an American passport, right? So you hold on to that and you think, oh, my country, I'm ready to come home. Isn't this nice? But may we not hold on to that passport quite as tightly as we hold on to the heavenly passport. Because while we rejoice that we, we have freedom in our country to, to worship, to be here tonight, and all the things that entails, how much better that we hold another citizenship, a citizenship that will last when America falls someday. Someday this country will be no longer. Every country that's ever existed has reached a point where it no longer exists, and someday that will be true here too. But the heavenly kingdom will not fall. And so what do we do when we look in this situation? We say, well, okay, it's making me stronger, but for what? Well, it's making me stronger because someday I'm going to be in Jesus' presence. He's going to be the king, the only perfect leader, Because I am a citizen of heaven, I get to enjoy that. 
And the fact that in this moment, not everything is going perfectly right doesn't somehow erase the fact that's coming. That can be a part of that. God uses the situations we're in to prepare us for what he's doing. Philippians chapter 1, we looked at this this spring. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't stop when he starts. When God says, hey, I'm, you have all these cards that you carry around, but you have a heavenly kingdom card, he doesn't give that to us with an expiration date that he might consider renewing at that point. He gives it to us for good. And so when you come before his word and you read this and you believe in Jesus and you say, this is who I am, I want to be a part of this, I want to follow that way maker. Then that glorious day that we sang about to start is the glorious day that we will experience. Not pending. That's our, our calling, recognize that. If you haven't already become a citizen of heaven. If you don't know Jesus, if you say, I know of him intellectually, but I've never trusted in him as Lord, then, then don't wait another day. Make today the day that you become a citizen of heaven. Don't do anything fancy. One of us would love to pray with you and, and pray that you would experience that, but you can experience that today. That joy that, that Jesus gives is there despite whatever circumstances we may face, because those circumstances in, in, in comparison to eternity and everything that God will do, pale. Whatever best thing could be happening instead is nothing compared to what God is going to do. I read this week that the Postal Service is going to be temporarily increasing the cost of, of mailing things for the holiday season. They're trying to figure out how not to go bankrupt. And, and so one of the ways they came up with it is that you, they make a lot of their money as people mail packages for Christmas. And so how do you shore things up and make sure the finances are good? Well, you charge more money when people are sending Christmas cards and Christmas packages. And you think, boy, I, I've already seen the Grinch. I, I don't need to see it again. But, but, you know, here they are. They're going to steal Christmas, right? Oh, no, this is awful. How evil can those people be? They're messing with Christmas. Now, we can kind of play with our minds and get into a mold like that, but imagine for a moment that you just allow that to keep chewing at you, and, and soon you don't even put up Christmas decorations this year because, well, why even bother when I go to the post office to send my Christmas gifts to people? I'm going to be bankrupt paying for all the extra postage. I, you know, I, uh, Christmas is just ruined. Over. It's over. Right? I mean, and if, if you had a friend that was doing that, you'd say, you know, you need to get things in perspective a little bit. If you actually believe what we sing about at Christmas, okay, so you paid another dollar to mail the package. So those Christmas cards cost a little more, but is the reason you have joy at Christmas is because you can afford all the greeting cards you're going to send? No, of course not. Or at least it shouldn't be. But it certainly calls us to, to ask, what am I rejoicing in? Where is it that I find my joy at Christmas? Am I rejoicing in the one that we sang about that, that is born 
so that he can triumph over death and can invite us into his victory? Or am I rejoicing in all the trimmings? Because here's the thing, and, and this is just a little reminder of that. All those trimmings can be stripped away. Every single one of them. Sometimes it's the post office raising its rates. Sometimes it's the squirrel chewing on your Christmas lights. Sometimes it's opening up the, the ham on, on Christmas and, and realizing we had this experience this past year that doesn't smell quite right. You, know, you can have all those things that, that start chipping away at the things that we associate with joy, and, and, yet, and yet they're not what actually brings joy. Or at least they shouldn't, because that joy will be wiped away. Here's the thing that, that Paul wants us to hear in this. It's really important. Because sometimes we, we can hear what, what we've been talking about and hear it as instruction. We'll rejoice in the bad stuff. When, 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 you lock out, when you lock yourself out of the car, jump up and down and say, yippee, I'm locked out of my car. This is wonderful. I haven't done that in a long time. This is great. I had to spend more on postage. Wow. I need to go home and celebrate, blow up some balloons. This is, this is wonderful. You know, we, we know how absurd that sounds because it is. It's okay for stuff to be bad. It's okay to be unhappy about stuff. The, the problem is when we allow our joy to be dictated by those things. And so when Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord, what he's saying is, yes, those things are going to happen, and sometimes those things are going to be bad. But rejoice in the Lord because he's working through those things and he's going to triumph over those things. I'm not a fan of, of sweet tea, but I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the sweetness of God's grace. And, and anyone here a fan of sweet tea? Do we have some sweet tea drinkers? Okay, a few, yeah. And then there's the rest of us who know that, that unsweetened iced tea is exactly how it was meant to be, you know? If God wanted tea to be sweet, he would have made it sweet, right? Yeah. Um, no, but here's the thing. If you... If you have ever had tea that's sweet in a glass? And, and, and usually if someone, like I go to a restaurant and they, they give me the sweet tea and I say, um, I, I wanted unsweetened tea. And so they'll take the, the, the glass back and they come back and they have changed out the tea, but the same glass. And so, so you ta taste it and ah, it's still sweet. There's so much sugar in that sweet tea. My unsweet tea is still too sweet for me. Now, if it were the other way around for you sweet tea drinkers, you'd be thinking, well, it's not enough, and it's just teasing me because I can sort of taste that, that lingering sweetness. But it's there. Now think about that sugar. That sugar isn't anything like God's grace. It's, it's such a small fraction of sweetness. But God's grace is so sweet, so permeating through whatever the circumstance may be, that it takes the most bitter experiences of life, and you can keep pouring them in. But if we're actually keeping our eye on what God is doing, those can't wipe away that sweetness. They can't wipe it away. We can just lose sight of it. We can be so focused on, well, my tea isn't as sweet as I'd like it to be, that you miss out on the fact that it's still there. Sometimes it's being obscured by the bitterness of life, but it's still there. Look what John Calvin says in reflecting on this passage. He says, to take such satisfaction, this is what we're called to do, to take such satisfaction in the simple tasting of God's grace that all annoyances, sorrows, anxieties, and griefs are sweetened. It's not that the things become good in themselves, but if we keep focusing on what God is doing and what he has given us, that they can't claim 
from us the joy that God has given us. Here's where we're called to be as Christians. It's not easy to do. I, I wish I could say I'd mastered this. I haven't. But it's what we're called to do. And as we are called into that, then we can go to the second part that's going to be an important part of understanding what it means to be a citizen of, of, of the kingdom and a citizen of joy. Which is that as we're holding on to that joy that lasts, now we can face the problems that come up and not be afraid to face them because we know that God's in control and that he is victorious. That's what we see in the, the latter half of this passage, this verse. Back to Philippians 1, end of the verse. Paul says to, he's doing this, he's rejoicing all this, and to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So he tells them to rejoice, and then he says he's going to repeat himself. And that's good, it's no problem for him, and it's good for them. Now, now we need to ask, what are these things that he's going to, to write about? What, what is he getting in touch with them about here? And, and commentators have argued a little bit, is it talking about what's coming up here? Because he hasn't mentioned some of these things in the letter already. Is he talking about the letter as a whole? I tend to think what's going on here is Paul is talking about things that he's already addressed with the people in Philippi. They maybe have received it in a previous letter or a previous visit. They've heard these things. And Paul says, I'm going to talk about them again. And he, what he's going to go into in the next few weeks is reminding the people, you're citizens of heaven, so flee the false teachers. They're trying to drag you out of God's joy, drag you out of the experience of God's grace, obscure it from you. He's going to talk about a lot of hard things, and he's already been talking about a lot of hard things, and I'm not so sure uh, that that isn't part of what he has in mind here, too. I, I'm writing this whole letter on hard things that we've talked about before. There's no trouble for me to write that. It's not going to mess up the command to, to rejoice. It doesn't matter if he has to say it again. Verse 18, we'll, we'll get there again in a few weeks, but, but Paul says, for many of whom... He's talking about these false teachers, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's no trouble, he says in verse 1, to talk about it. Well, why is that? He has tears over these false teachers trying to, to ruin his joy, ruin the work of the church that he's been doing in Philippi. How in the world can he be talking about rejoicing? Well, it's because of where his joy is situated that we've been talking about. You know, if you're in ministry, it, whether as a volunteer or, or you're, you, you've served a, in a job in ministry, a lot of times it feels like joy is very much attached to how the people are doing that you're ministering to. If you see the church growing, if you see people becoming believers who aren't in the, or weren't in the past, if you see people growing in their faith, that brings a lot of joy. That's a good thing. We should be joyful about that. But here Paul is, is in a situation, he's imprisoned while people are going to try to persuade the very folks that he's been ministering to of things that are false. That's sort of the opposite of joy. There's going to be a lot of times where Paul is not going to be do, seeing the outcome in his ministry that would get him hired in a church today. So Again, how can there be joy? How, how can he have joy as he has to repeat these things that he said before, these things about, about false teachers, these things about suffering? Does anyone here have joy when you repeat stuff? 
it's a little frustrating, right? The more you have to repeat something to somebody, you think, oh, come on. Didn't, weren't you listening? Didn't you care about what I had to say? Paul says it's no problem. He doesn't mind. I, I think that is situated in two parts of that joy we've been talking about. The first part is he knows that Jesus has the victory, that he's a citizen of, of the kingdom, and so he has a joy in that. And he also has the joy in knowing that in these repetitions that he has to give to the people, that he's helping them to experience that victory too. That this is a part of the process of discipling people, of growing them in the faith. Paul's looking at the Philippians not as people to check off before he clocks out of work and can, can analyze the, the growth chart and see if it's been successful and if maybe he can get a promotion. How does he see them? He sees them as if he were their father. And, and those of you, I, I'm not, but those of you who are parents, you've had to repeat things plenty of times, uh, no doubt. Paul here is having to repeat things. He's having to spiritually parent these people and repeat things, but he's, he has the, the end in sight, he, he, the end for himself and for them. He knows where they're going because he knows many of them are genuine believers. He knows where he's going. He's a citizen of, of the kingdom. And so he's looking at that and saying, okay, yeah, this, this is a challenge in this moment, but it's okay because I know where we're going. This is a part of the process. This is part of how God is working. And those are the times where anxiety can eat away at our joy. I, I had that key fob for the, the van, and, and I, I looked at it, and I tried it before it didn't work, and, and I did think one thing, which was, I wonder if I put a new battery in it, if it would work. And my mom had some batteries of the type, so I, I got she gave me one of her batteries. I, I put it into the key fob, and we drove up, and... I have this key fob in my hand with a fresh battery. It doesn't have any lights on it or anything, so I don't know if it's working. I can't say I had a lot of joy in that moment because I, I didn't know what the destination was. It could very well be to bring up this key fob and confirm, yes, this key fob doesn't work, and yes, I'm still in a position where my key is in the ignition and I can't get in the car. I didn't experience joy in that moment until I pressed the unlock button on the key fob and heard a loud thunk as the car unlocked itself. And, and then, then there was some joy. You know, I, I mean, today's Cardinals game was great, but I, I think I was more excited about that car unlocking because, wow, yes! It was at least as good as Albert hitting two home runs today. Um, it, it was really, really great to see that car unlock and to know also because this car, it was my, my grandpa's van years ago, it, to know that I was going to be able to bring it out of the parking lot, not have the ignition, the key just challenging someone to break open the window and steal it, that it was going to be safe again. This, you know, there was joy there. And in life, oftentimes, and if we're basing our joy on the things of this world, we can't have joy until something works because we don't know how things are going to work out. But as we think about the rest of this chapter and what it looks like to be a citizen of joy, the reason we can be joyful right now in a world that feels so messed up is that we already know how it's going to work out that God is victorious. When life gets in the way of our joy, then our joy is situated in life and not in the life giver. But may our joy not be situated in the circumstances of life, but in the one who gives that life. When we base it there, wherever we may be, whatever we may be facing, 
We know that we are those who have a card that says that we are citizens of the victorious king. And so we can join Paul in rejoicing. Let's come before our God who gives us that joy right now. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I look at these friends in this room and, and those who are online. I know each of us carries burdens, challenges, things that, that would seem to actually draw us away from joy. But in you, we know that we have true joy. Lord, I pray if anyone is here tonight or is online tonight and has never experienced that joy, who has never become a citizen of your kingdom, may tonight be the night that he or she trusts in you, trusts in your Son, our Savior, Jesus, and experiences that joy. And Lord, for each of us, whether this is the first day of our time as citizens of the kingdom or or we've been in the kingdom for years and years, Lord, would you help us as we allow the circumstances of life to erode our joy, to turn back and to hold on to you, for you are the one who gives true joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.